Whitley Strieber is an American author, best known for his horror novels The Wolfen and The Hunger, but also for Communion, a non-fiction account of his alleged experiences with non-human entities. Join myself and Neil as we discuss Whitley Strieber. Were his experiences real or was he deluded? Or is there a different answer completely? Aliens Explored is a weekly podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a sceptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind. I'm Stu Jackson, a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Welcome everyone to another episode of Aliens Explored. I am one of your hosts, Stu Jackson. And I'm Neil Kelly. And we, this week, uh, we are discussing Whitley Strieber. I think I mispronounced his name last week. I called him Strieber. I know. I, I, I don't. I don't know how he pronounced it. I, I mean, I even watched the film that was based on his experiences, and his surname just never came up. Um, uh, it did once. That's did how I know to correct myself. Yeah, because right. I've rewatched it myself. Right. Based and at on, one point, yeah, Strieber is mentioned. But based on that spelling, I'd call him Strieber, but I know that... Um, is, is he Jewish? Uh, no, he's a Catholic. Very Catholic. Catholic. I just know that it's a, it's an American thing, and very much an American Jewish thing, because a lot of them have German names, to change the pronunciation. To, it's a sort of anglicisation that German... I'm getting a bit nerdish now. German is a very regular language. That if something is spelt a certain way, it's always pronounced that way. Um, it's mm. not like English. Think how many ways there are of pronouncing O-U-G-H, depending on what comes before and after it. Bow, yes. through, thought, tough, you know. But with German, in German, E-I is always pronounced I, and I-E is always pronounced E. Those diphthongs never vary. But um, um, it seems to be an American thing. I mean, it's the big joke in um, in Young Frankenstein with Gene Wilder as Dr. Frankenstein. They say, Dr. Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein. And he says, it's Dr. Frankenstein! Because that's yeah. the, oh. he's an American. Yeah. And, um, yes. you know, it's it's like the, you know, the, the, the English Jewish manager of the Beatles was Brian Epstein, the American bill, you know, playboy paedophile who entertained Prince Andrew with some sex trafficked women, mm. was um, Jeffrey Epstein. Harvey Weinstein mm. went both ways. You know, he... Well, yeah. well he, yeah. yes. We've, we hear stories yeah. about Harvey Weinstein. Anyway, so um, we're, so yeah. we're bringing it. So we'll call him Walter um, Whitley Stryber. Is that what we're calling Stryber. him? Stryber. Stryber is what he was in the thing. But yeah, so, but it sounds like I wasn't 
completely incorrect when I called him. Right, I must have missed it because so I, I was actually—I was actually—it was probably a little while into the film. I said, "Oh, I haven't heard his last name," and I must—it must have just washed over me. And I thought, "I'll listen out for it," and it never came up. Uh, no yeah. one said. Oh, no, I was—I was consciously listening for it just in case I'd mm -hmm. got it wrong. And he's yeah, seeing all I these doctors that. and the psychiatrists, and no one's saying, "Oh, Mr. Streber or Mr. Streber." So. Mm. Yeah. So let's. Uh, yeah. Well, that's exactly what happens. Yes, with the door. But yeah, mm. we're getting a little bit of a ahead of ourselves now. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So he's he's a playwright, um, a screenwriter, mm. an author. Um, wrote some really uh, quite high profile stuff prior to his experiences. Mm. Um, and yeah, he wrote uh, a book called Communion, which was made into the movie, and that's what we're referencing now. Um, I think we both did the same thing. Now, I, I'm going to hold my hands up. I've never read the book. I have no. only watched the movie. I've only watched the movie um, recently. Very recently. So I rewatched it. Um, now, I can tell you a little story about myself. When I was in my early 20s, uh, yeah. so it was not too long after it came. In fact, probably even before then, when I was in my yeah late teens, maybe sort of 17, 18 years old, mm. Um I, I watched the movie for the first time. It utterly freaked me out. Completely. Like, irrationally. Gave mm. me huge, massive nightmares. Freaked me out. And I bought it on DVD. I then, every single night, felt compelled to watch it. Even though it freaked me out every time and gave me horrendous nightmares. To the point, I had to destroy the the, the video back really? in the days of VHS really? before DVDs. But yeah, I had to destroy it because I was I became obsessed and compulsed to rewatch it over and over again. That then lent me to um, question myself, my own experiences, um, and that's a whole other topic, perhaps for another day. Um, but it was. Um, it, it, it's it's something I look back on as a kind of an awakening mm. in self-knowledge. Um, but yeah, I became really obsessed with, with the movie, even though it utterly free. And now, I'm, so I'm expecting, I haven't watched it since. Mm. So for me, that's, that's like nearly 30 years right. since I watched it. Um, and I was expecting, oh, do you know what? Yeah, I'm going to expect the special effects are not, up by today's standards I watched it specifically watched it daytime so there's lots of light I had the curtains wide open um, I'm sat in the study watching it on my computer and yeah I freaked out just as much as I did 30 years ago what was it particularly that, that freaked you out about it it was the um, the first I'll say the first two abduction scenes Hmm. Um, the rest of it is really easy. Even when there's jump scares in it, hmm. th those no, didn't affect me at all, but it's those specific abduction scenes, which I can even say now by today's standards, they look cheesy, they look... They, they don't look all that, but it's still... it was Maybe it's the soundtrack or something like that. I mean, the soundtrack's awesome. Um, I mean, as yeah. you say, the, the special effects are ropey, that's the thing with special effects. That's what stops a film from aging well. If you've got 1980s, the film was made in 89. So it's 
it's looking like he's being abducted by Ewoks or refugees from the Muppet Show to me. <laughs> it, it didn't look at all. Think, what, yeah. what the hell is going on? And then a, a, a final... Munchkins. Yeah, and at the end when he's kind of dancing with them, I think, what, what's, what's going on? I mean, it struck me that Whitley Strieber was a guy who was in the industry. He was a writer of horror and fantasy fiction. That was mm -hmm. his living. And he did very well at it. That's why he lived in this huge New York apartment. He had this luxurious cabin upstate in the woods, which is where the, the yep. incidents happened. Um, yeah, he began his career with the novels of The Wolfen, published in 1978, and The Hunger, 1981, mm. both made into very successful movies. What really struck me yeah. was that this um, these... In these incidents that happened, I mean, the first one was on Boxing Day 1985. Um, that was the first of, of several incidents. What do you think? He went through this and then he wrote a book and then it was made, it was optioned and made into a Hollywood movie with an A-list star mm -hmm. with, with Christopher Walken playing Whitley, yeah. Whitley Stryber, um, all in the space of three years. From the yep. first experience to that movie with an a, a Hollywood A-lister in it, that in three years. So this guy was, he was connected, he was in the industry, and I'm guessing that this movie Communion was made on the back of the fact that this guy was a known entity in Hollywood. His, his writing yes. had been successful before, so there's there's more... You'll get no argument from me in that case. Yeah, that if, if, it, if it had been a complete outsider... Someone who just said, well, this happened to me and I've written a book. They said, well, you know, who the hell are you? That would be the Hollywood it, response. It had been dismissed. Yeah. Utterly. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So, okay, I thought you were going somewhere with that. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I'm saying is that it just shows you know, this guy is in this world of fantasy, horror. And I know when I've been writing something, if you really get into it, it can affect your dreams. You can have dreams. And, and one expert did say that his, um, the way he described the first experience is um, typical. Is, is the phrase hypnagogia? Hypnagogic. Hypnagogic, yeah, which, which, yep. which yep. I understand Trans -like is... Trance-like state. Which I understand is a kind of sleep paralysis. The way I've had it explained mm. to me is that when you go to sleep, your brain goes to sleep, but also your body goes to sleep, which prevents you from acting out your dreams, from punching whoever's in bed with you or murdering yeah. people. Um, but there have been incidents, and, and they're apparently quite rare, where someone will wake up, or they've imagined, they'll imagine they've woken up, but their body hasn't. So they are, they are actually paralysed. And mm -hmm. through the ages, people have attributed this to demons or witches, or a demon sat on their chest... They can feel yeah. the weight of it, or a witch in the room. Or they're seeing all these things, but they're not really awake. And I know what that's like because I've been lying in bed, looking at the ceiling, awake, and suddenly my wife will nudge me and say, "Turn over, you're snoring." And I'll say, "But I'm awake," and she'll say, "No, you're not. <laughs> you're, you're just, I'm just dreaming. I'm asleep, dreaming that I'm lying in bed, awake, staring at the ceiling, which, as dreams yeah. go, is probably one of the most tedious." So you're you're, uh, you're you're theorizing that he simply dreamt it. 
Um, yes, yeah, I think that um, there was plenty of stimulus in that direction. To he, he lived in a world where these kinds of things, this world of the imagination, it's not surprising that it would seep into his dreams and that he could have a particularly vivid dream. Also in the film, his son appears to have um, been aware of these visitors. But of course, he's a very yes. young lad. I don't know how old he is. He's probably about six or seven years old in the, in the I, movie. I think he was, yeah, about that age at the time, yeah. So so very, very suggestible. I mean, this guy tells his kids stories. He reads him bedtime stories, sometimes ones he's made up. So um, I, I'd attribute the, the son's belief in it to that, that he's, he's had it suggested to him by his dad to such an extent that he sees it too. Okay. Okay, I can absolutely go along with that. Um, the, for me, the really tense moment in the film was, and this is typical Americana, he, um, he decides there's someone outside, because he lives in this cabin, he's paranoid, for one thing. Mm -hmm. So he's got all the security, he's got all these light sensors, think lights will come on. You know, if anyone comes near, the place will be lit up like, like Christmas. That he decides, he suddenly reaches a shotgun down off the pump-action shotgun down off the top of the wardrobe, loads it and goes running around the house where his, you know, his wife and young child were asleep. He nearly shoots his wife in, in the... I don't know mm. how... Well, I, I guess that bit was written into the... Um, I guess he wrote that bit into the... where he nearly shot his wife. Well, Americans do that all the time, don't they? They shoot their wives. They, they shoot <sighs> family members by accident. That, that yeah. it, it does happen. Um, mm. But... But you know, I'm, I mean, I'm willing to say, yeah, there's there's got to be an element of dramatisation, and there is going to be with a movie hmm. of such events. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Well, and um, one thing you hadn't mentioned, which again, if he'd imagined this or dreamt it or mistaken a dream for reality, um, that would also explain the hypnosis um, hmm. and and the details that he came out with. And that, what it doesn't answer for me though there's a few things it doesn't answer mm. um one is that he himself wanted it desperately wanted this to be a hallucination or a dream or mm. he was looking for it, that to be the answer and it just it wasn't for him so i think if that were the case he would surely would have been open to the idea and and would have accepted it as an idea. Although I think he might have vacillated a bit. I mean, at one point when he's being examined by a neurologist for a possible brain tumour or something that could have caused this, um, I think he was quite relieved to find that, oh, this, this <laughs> it's not caused by something medical. Because that if it was, if it was that particular medical thing, it means I'm going to die. Well... Yes, um, but that's but if the explanation was simply, look, you had a bad dream, mm. oh, that would have been a huge relief as well, and I think he would have latched onto that as yeah. an as as an explanation. Um, mm. Certainly, the way he was so vehemently trying to find a rational explanation. But for but this. but Stryber did have form for imagining things so vividly that he convinced themselves they were true. And there was a classic case, and he he himself didn't even understand why he was doing it. 
But um, he claims that he was present at the Whitman massacre, the the, the Texas yeah. Towers sniper at o the University of Austin in Texas in 1966. Mm. Now, according to his mother, he was in Austin, but he wasn't on campus that day. And mm. he vividly remembers things like he remembers a child being riding a bike and being shot off it, having his head blown off while riding a bike. Mm. And of course, of course, according to the official report that there was no child riding a bike who was shot. He has these vivid no. memories of gut shot women lying there screaming in agony. And he knew that the minute he went to assist them, he would get shot too. So he just had to hide behind this mm. wall and he saw someone else go to assist them and get his head blown off. This was all just invented and he knew it was invented, but he kept telling the story and didn't know why he was telling the story. So he has some form for this, but he's a creative. He imagines this. He makes his living out of inventing this stuff. Absolutely. And there's no question the guy has a very, very vivid imagination that runs mm. away with him. And yeah, absolutely. You, you nailed it in that. He has form for that. Mm. But when his wife went under hypnosis... Mm. I mean, she's the grounded one. She's the sensor. I mean, she was an author herself. Um, but not in the same out there sense that he was. Mm. Um, but yeah, she recalled details of an event uh, where there was very firmly a mental block put in place, preventing her from really recalling details. Mm. That's not come from him. Where's that come from? Mm. There was also, um, during the making, uh, or I think it was actually just after um, Communion had been released, not ju during the making, uh, but Philippe Mora, who was the director, he stayed at uh, Stryber's cabin, hmm. that, where it allegedly happened. Um, this was in 1987, and he himself had an experience. Is that the one that, that's shown in the movie, where they go to the cabin with their friends... And, um, no, that's his friend Alex. Alex, right. Alex and his partner yeah. or wife. And they're so freaked out by what happened um, yeah. the night before that the next day they just say, we want to go. They've arrived that evening. Yeah. They've settled down for the night. Something's happened outside. Um, and the next day they said, we just want to go home. But how many, how many American movies have you seen where people go and stay in a remote cabin... They ignore the early signs that they're being observed or they're stalked or they're, be they're being hunted and they end up in a fight for their lives. <laughs> Maybe one of them will survive. Yeah. Um, it's, it's standard slash affair. So you can imagine the thing, well, no, if there's someone out there in the woods who's, who's noticed us, who's, who's testing our defences, actually, let's just go home. Let's just... You know, this we're, we're, yeah. we're not comfortable. Absolutely, nothing, nothing supernatural about it. This is this is an American horror. This is very, very real. This is people with guns and knives. Yeah, yeah. well, that's it. He, his friend Alex, you know, experienced, and that was again in 1985. Mm. But no, this was this was much, much later than that when the director stayed. So, so communion's made. Mm. It's done. And then the director has an experience at that cabin. Okay. Now, okay, I'm not 
totally blind to the idea of um of being open to suggestion you know he's just spent this time intensively working on this freaky movie and you know mm. but but that's a hell of a, a hell of a coincidence yeah i mean hell of a coincidence i, I haven't read the book i'll, I'll, I'll come clean because this is this is new to me but i did watch mm. communion and the things that struck me about it was it, it's very dated i mean it's got a it's got a an a-list star playing Whitley Stryber, but I didn't recognise any of the other actors in it. They managed to get Christopher Walken in 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 the lead role. Um, it had that feel of a, a made-for-TV movie, but that could just be because of the special effects have dated. Um, the portrayal of the visitors. I mean, there were two kinds. Were there the little blue munchkin people? Yes. And there were the um, the standard greys, the tall, willowy insect-like faces big black eyes um well i mean they were quite prominent in movies of that time weren't they i mean we, we saw the greys in close encounters of the third kind a decade before the little blue creatures mm. they look like something out of um was the third star wars movie out by them with the ewoks and the ewoks yeah yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah the the, that or fraggle rock things. or something like that that I mean, maybe that's not what they look like. Maybe that's just what they mocked up for the movie. Um, but that was—that's what it felt like. These did not feel like threatening beings. Um, but both these alien types have been depicted, or hmm. not just depicted, but experienced by people independently all over the world in different hmm. um, abduction reports. Well, he's friend Alex. I've just got to go back on one thing you, you said. Just um, I, I doubt any of these people, any of the cast, will be listening. But if you are, that's fantastic. Yeah. I hope you're enjoying. Please tweet us. <laughs> um, but it was you say Whitley or rather um, Christopher Walken was the only. A, oh no, there was a lot of A-listers in this. Um, so Lindsay Cruz, who played his wife, hmm. uh, was very very well known, particularly at the time. Um, yeah, I think less so now, but very, very mm. big in the 80s. I, I'm, uh, doing the, I'm doing Stern. them a disservice, yeah, okay, I understand. Uh, you are doing them a disservice, <laughs> and we've got to put that right. Um, <laughs> Francis Sternhagen, who played the doctor who hypnotised him, mm. she's been in loads, of, I mean, she's been in Star Trek, you know? Mm. Um, and speaking of Star Trek alumni, uh, Andreas Katsulis, who played his friend Alex, who we mentioned, um, very famously played uh, Romulan, oh, Romulan captain in Star Trek Next Generation. Can't remember which, uh, but most famously played Jakar in the series Babylon Five. Okay, these are these are. <laughs> that's yeah. what I have uh, you're yeah. not the sci-fi fan that yeah. I am. It's got to be. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but no, I just yeah, I, I mm. felt it was important to address that. Yeah, um, and and of course Eric Clapton did the soundtrack. Eric Clapton did the soundtrack, yeah? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of big names behind this uh, this movie. Mm. They obviously thought it was going to do well. Given that it was based on an incident that had only happened three years before, in, in between which time it had kind of played out. I mean, it's, it had started three years previously. The whole series of events had played out, and then he decided to write a book about it. And then the book had been published, and then it got optioned for a movie, and then it got made all in the space of these three years. 
it's quite um, yeah phenomenal. But this guy had a routine, you know, that he because he wrote the Wolfen and, and the Howling. Um, yeah, he was quite used to his books very quickly being made into movies, even though this one was wasn't fiction. It was well, uh, absolutely, and and I think you've hit the you know the guy was a mover and shaker, and he he was well known, and, and you're absolutely right, he was connected. And that's why it was news. That's why it, it, it I mean, Communion sold uh, as a book, sold incredibly. Is it two million? Well. Something like that? I've, I've no idea of the numbers, million, but I, read, I know yeah. it was massively, massively popular. Um, so, yeah, they were onto the, the, the studios were onto a sure thing with the movie, really. Mm. Um, I, I'm. I'm not under any illusions that they did it, you know, for any um, for getting the word out there or mm. or because it was so believable or anything like that. No, absolutely. And and I found the movie. I think it's useful as a general guide to Stryber's state of mind. Mm. Um, I just had that end scene uh, when he goes back. And he boards the craft, and they're all dancing, and he has the conversation. Mm. I'm, I'm not. I don't think for one moment that that was a representation of what happened, but more um, a metaphor for him coming to terms with what happened to him. Mm. And I, and I think that's all it was. Nothing more than that. Um, you know, a way of sort of pigeonholing the experience. Mm. Uh, there's a really nice scene um, where he has a conversation in the in the um, the art gallery with his wife, and you've got lots of POV shots, point of view mm. shots for the non-filmmakers out there, um, where you know you're seeing things. You're seeing his wife through Whitley's eyes, and you're seeing mm. Whitley through her eyes, and um, and they're having this conversation with each other about what it all means and what you know does god exist and it's quite a big conversation um but yeah of course there's always going to be dramatic license with these films but uh but no as in terms of the the first experience on 26th of december i believe something happened uh and i believe it happened again yeah i mean i don't think there was much arti- artistic license cause i think um striber wrote the the screenplay um, he took yeah. a bit of issue with there was a bit of um, off script ad lib where Christopher Walken went full Walken and that wasn't <laughs> he suddenly became Christopher yeah. Walken rather than Whitley Stryber he didn't like that um, I guess he didn't have much say as to the kind of special effects that would be used I mean interestingly he was he was keen to to point out that or, or to refer to these these entities as um, visitors. Yes. Um, he uh, never at any point suggested that, that they'd arrived in some kind of spacecraft. He never no. saw a UFO. Um, he he suggested they might perhaps be interdimensional beings. Um, his friend Alex, who got freaked out that time at the, mm-hmm. at the, at the cabin, um, when he spoke to him later, well, Alex was apparently of Romanian origin. And yes. said, well, these beings yeah. are in there, a part of their folk tales. These, they are the the fairies or the hobgoblins or whatever that you know, they, yeah. they will come. Kobolds, I think he refers to him uh, in Kobolds, the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
which which uh when you when you dig deep into the mythologies um and religions of pretty much every nation actually there are parallels you can draw with the ufo mm. phenomenon anyway um so yeah i can i can absolutely believe it, but you're absolutely right he he he, he put forward the interdimensional thing as basically an off-the-cuff here's a possibility mm. it wasn't even a theory it was just a I'm not saying the I'm not saying the one thing or another. It's just mm. could be anything, and, um, and he we did, don't know is the key. Yeah, and he did put that forward before scientists. I mean, this is back in 1989, before scientists had really accepted the idea of moving between dimensions. Or, but I suppose yeah, scientists had its theory of relativity and moving between dimensions as you move through time. But um, it wasn't it wasn't generally out there as a popular as a popular idea. Do you know what? I'm going to dispute that a little bit uh, because it was something else that Stryber wrote on was the Twilight mm. Zone. Uh, they explored that back in the 50s. Mm. The idea of going from different dim- uh, through different dimensions from mm. one to another. Um, Star Trek had it with the, the mirror universe with you know where they mm. all had goatee beards. So that's how you knew they were evil. Uh, and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at Neil with his fresh yeah. goatee beard and laughing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can't see that. This is my, this is my uh, lockdown beard. This... Yeah, but it is just a goatee beard, mm. so we know that uh, Neil is his own evil twin. Mm. Uh, <laughs> mm. But yeah, so um, see, so yeah, it was it was just purely purely a theory. Um, but like I say, the guy. He wanted a rational, normal explanation. He didn't want the mm. burden of of this being something extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, he he was extensively tested for temporal lobe epilepsy and other brain abnormalities mm-hmm. at his own request, but his brain was found to be functioning normally. I would say that would come as a relief. If I thought I've been having these experiences, it could be because I'm suffering from temporal lobe epilepsy or I'm brain damaged. To find, I imagine I would, I would rather have it mysterious than than found than than be the mystery solved, but traced to a source like that, some serious, debilitating illness that's going to kill me after a long illness. Um, it also said Whitley Stryber has repeatedly expressed frustra- frustration that his experiences have been taken as alien contact when he does not exactly know what they were. Stryber has reported anomalous childhood experiences and suggested that he may have suffered some sort of early interference by intelligence or military agencies. So now we're getting into conspiracy okay. theory territory. You are, and that that is much more on the speculation hmm. side of things. I'm, I'm going to... Um, Counter something you said a moment ago, though, about um, the relief of finding out that it wasn't this hmm. um, frontal lobe um, epilepsy. Frontal say? lobe epilepsy. Te- temporal lobe epilepsy. Temporal lobe epilepsy. Um, and I agree, it would have been a relief. Now, some years ago, um, I started feeling ill all the time. Uh, mm. This was over a period of some months. I was tired all the time. I was gaining weight very rapidly. I had no energy. Um, I had no motivation to do anything. I was um, My emotional state was sort of uh, quite up and down. And I went to the doctor and, and I talked about it. And 
um, because of my family history one of the key things they identified was oh you, you've possibly got diabetes hmm. fair enough you know I'm overweight um, I'm a, that age my father's got diabetes I, I recognize the possibility I recognize the the potential and uh, and I was diagnosed for it and the result came back negative and yes there was an element of relief but also there was significantly an element of of uh, frustration because that means I don't have an answer to what's mm. going wrong. Um, and in fact, it took several years. And, and if you're listening to this, dear listener, and, and you want to know, mm. uh, I suffer from a condition called hypothyroidism, which took me um, mm. several years to be diagnosed. Um, and yeah, and, and in fact, all throughout this, so this is quite personal, all throughout those years and years of testing and trying to get to the bottom of what it was, um, it was frustrating. Hmm. I wanted, I, I got to my, I wanted it to be diabetes because, you know, I know people with diabetes and I know it's I have it's diabetes. Treatable. <laughs> you have diabetes, although I didn't know you back then, but, hmm. but yeah, um, but it's a condition you can live with and you can treat it. And hey, if I knew what it was and got the treatment, fantastic, I can go back to living a normal life. And yeah. it was, so, so coming back, Without these various, I was tested for a number of different conditions, um, and every time it came back, no, you haven't got it, no, you haven't got it, and I was getting increasingly, I wanted it to be one of these things. Yeah, diabetes is a different thing, because I remember when I was diagnosed, I mean, I'd probably for about a year or, or even longer, um, I'd had those same kind of symptoms of feeling very lethargic, I was always forgetting things, um, I'd suddenly remember something mm. that I was supposed to have done, and and eventually dig out what it, whatever it was but yeah this experience of almost living in another world where suddenly something would it's, it's it would come to you in a dream suddenly that you would oh shit are we going to do this are we going to and i'd completely forgotten and and this just this this tiredness this you know this getting exhausted i mean i had a, a horrible job at the time um which which mm. ground me down i was commuting three hours every day but when i was diagnosis diabetes I mean the reason I went for a diagnosis was that there were just lots of posters about at the time saying always tired um, always go, and, and always going to going to the always thirsty always going to the toilet a lot and I had noticed that because I was mm. now working in a job which I liked but they had very tight control over us and we had a, a door pass um, so they knew every time we left the office because we had to click in and click out in um, so that I kept going to the toilet. Now we just moved to these offices and my job did involve a lot of drinking. I was working in journalism. I was being entertained by PR people a lot. The drinks would flow and you'd, you'd be going to the toilet. And these offices were the, the air conditioning or the central heating. It was, it was a very parched environment. So you're always drinking lots of water and then going to the toilet. Mm. But I was losing weight at a tremendous rate. I lost, um, I lost, a, couple of, I lost a couple of kilos. I think I lost a stone in weight in, in the end. I could see my ribs. You know. um, mm. So, yeah, there were all these posters of it. So I went for the, I went for the test and, uh, yeah, it came back positive. You are diabetic. But I was amazed how quickly, once treatment started, boom, it, you're, you're back. Suddenly it felt like I was 10 years younger. So, yeah, that is a good thing to find out. There's something wrong with you. And actually it's something which left untreated would have killed you, <laughs> would have killed oh, me. Yeah. Um, so I found this thing. It's being treated. That was twenty years ago. Um, 
haven't really suffered much from it in in those times but obviously i had to get used to a, a medication quite a strict medication and testing routine mm. but um yeah to suddenly find out you've got something like temporal lobe epilepsy or a brain tumor or something that that's I, that that's not something you can just treat you can you know no but i i still stand by my point that it's better to know what a thing is than have it left hanging over you without knowing what it is yeah but even so it's um, better to find out that you haven't got that thing that's going to kill you that that, that specific one yeah. yeah but but like i say the the idea that it was just a dream hmm. yeah he'd have been all over that i'm yeah. certain of it i'm a creative um, this is just, what i do you know this is yeah it would have been easy it would have been an easy answer for him and yet to this day he is absolutely adamant that is not what it was Hmm. And under hypnosis, no, that's not what it was. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's quite an interesting one. Um, but yeah, so listeners, do go out and read uh, Communion, watch the movie. It's uh, it's available to download on Amazon and other places. Um, so in summary, Neil, hmm. um, we've we've debated it back and forth. Hmm. It boils down to a very simple question: Do you believe? that Whitley Stryber had an otherworldly experience? Um, I believe that he believes he had an otherworldly experience. Um, but I also, because he has such form for imagining things so vividly that he actually thinks they've happened to him, and that he's actually made a very good living in his life. He's <laughs> had a very good life out of Mm. writing these things writing these things down weaving them into a, a work of fiction which is then made into a hollywood movie um he's a he's an extremely wealthy and successful man so yeah the fact that he's he's stuck on this one that he's become obsessed that he can't quite shake that maybe this really did happen um yeah i believe that he believed it but i i wasn't convinced by the movie, anyway, that he'd been visited by creatures from another world. Fair enough. Well, for me, um, because he was in the career, because he, he was already successfully writing stuff, I think, if he was simply going to do that, that's the route he would have gone down. Hmm. And and as someone who, who yet had total form in terms of imagining things and then picturing them so vividly, uh, he would have known what that was like. Mm. so for me um, I agree with you he believes what, that something happened to him and uh, I'm inclined to take him at his word that something really mm. did um, but there you go what do you think listeners um, do tweet us send us a message on Facebook um, comment below uh, let us know what you think and let us know what, as well if there are any specific subjects in ufology or the alien phenomenon that you would like us to discuss. Um, don't forget to join us next time when we will be discussing... Aha, uh, Neil, I have to ask, uh, would you describe yourself as a squeamish person? No. I revel That's in horror. To and, hear. And... <laughs> That's very good to hear, but nevertheless, you may want to put the burger down before our next discussion because we will be going into the gruesome phenomenon that is cattle mutilation. Cattle mutilation? That's right. Yeah, so don't miss 
that one. Uh, so from me, Stu, and from me, Neil, take care and, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Aliens Explored is a Fecal Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter or Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit us on aliensexplored.com.